0: Tanya, for the 30th of Sivan, the first the story. Uh, a Gentile once came to Rabbi Akiva, one of the greatest um, sages of the Mishnahic era, and he asked for proof. Who created the world? first he asked. And Rabbi Akiva obviously said, God did. So he said, prove it. So Rabbi Akiva told him, come back tomorrow and I'll give you the proof. So the Gentile was very, very intrigued. And the next day he came back, and Rabbi Akiva asked him, what are you wearing? And he said, a suits. And, the, and Rabbi Kiva said, um, who made the suits? And the Gentile said, a tailor made the suit. And Rabbi Kiva told the man, I don't believe that a tailor made the suit. I want you to prove to me that this tailor made the suit. And the, the Gentile got really are angry. He said, well, how do, the, how, the, why do I have to prove this? Obviously, a tailor made the suit. It's a suit, which means it needs to be made. And people want to make the suits of the tailor. It's obvious that the only person that made this suit is a tailor. So Rekiva answered to him and said, don't you know that God had to have made this world? God's the only one that could have made this world. So the Gentile left he turned away and left it seemed like a very simplistic answer and so he got his answer. But meanwhile the students of Rekiva were listening on to the conversation when they said, what's the real proof that God made the world? you know what you, what you told him was a, was a was was, inter, was an interesting um, take on it. But at the same time, there's there's got to be a more a, a more um, there's got to be a real um, a real proof. What what is the real proof? And he said like this. He said, just as a house testifies that on the builder that constructed it, and a garment about the tailor that constructed it, and the door the carpenter that made it, so too does this world testify and it screams out that, that God made this world. If you look deep enough and and well enough. You'd be able to establish that god is the one that made this world it's it's a beautiful story that really illustrates what we're trying to do in the Havermun, at least to some degree have going to establish today it's kind of an impossibility to prove it completely but at least to some degree we can understand chapter eight has two ideas inside the in chapter eight number one we're going to be talking about the um the fact that god is not made up of other things and that everything, all ca- um, titles within God are all part of God. And the second thing we're going to do is we're going to start something, a process, talking about how the human condition is, what the stages of the human being is within, from mental to action, from within the person's not even mental, but within, within the person's resources of their mind, until action explaining step by step. And that's going to bring us along a journey for a few chapters where we're going to talk about how the human condition is compared to how God is and we say that yes we understand how things are working out in our mind in our life but it does not apply to God. God's unity is entirely beyond the scope of what we can understand. We're going to move quickly because it's a long time here. The Rambam, we already mentioned this earlier, the Rambam says God and him, God and his wisdom are entirely one, not made up of two things like a human being is. A human being has himself and then the wisdom that's packed upon him. It's just entirely one. So when we have all these, it's not just the, the spheres of Hashem when we talk about Adas that are entirely unified with God, but even his description of the Canon like gracious and merciful and and righteous and and um, kind, all of these descriptors that we give to God, they are one with God. It's not that God is kind and God has kindness on top of himself. God is entirely unified with his, with his with his kindness. and even God's will will is something that's extremely subtle. And God's will is entirely unified with Himself. So the Rebbe, the Rebbe says that all of these things we talk about God, even the God's will, what God wants and what God doesn't want, both and flip sides of God's will, all of it is entirely one with God. And it's not a plural, plural plurality plurality where you have god plus what god desires because you know, human beings that very much exist like that well, what god god is and then what god doesn't desire what god doesn't want to happen what his desires for not to be all of that is entirely unified and one with god how does that make sense well it's impossible for a human being to understand. So Raman says straight away, it's absolutely impossible. The, no, the fact that the, the al says to fully understand, it means we're, we're supposed to try at least a little bit to try to understand it. There is a possibility for that. But to properly understand it is impossible in the human condition because it's God. So the unity of God is impossible. The author, the author was giving a very important principle. When a person understands anything outside of himself, he projects from what's within himself. If a person wants to understand um um rocket science. Well he says, in my brain, I understand one plus one, and while I'll project it outwards. Well, much more in a much more complex fashion to to explain the dynamics of of how to get enough thrust in order to make a rocket go to the moon, whatever it is. We understand everything by extrapolation, by projection outwards. But that's not how it really works with God, it's all within God. God is holy. Holy, by definition, comes from the word Kaddish, which means separate. So we call God kind. We say, well, I know what kind is. I was kind to someone yesterday. God, well, God's God. So God's a lot greater. God is like me, kind, but just a million times greater. That's a massive mistake. God is not a million times greater. God's kindness has absolutely no bearing on the kindness that we have. We have ourselves and we have our kindness. God's kindness is a part of God. So short of understanding God, which is an impossibility, you cannot understand the kindness of God. Now come to the second point of today's time. So the first point is we have no idea what's going on with God, wrapped in the fact that all of the, the things we describe about God are all unified with God. In brackets, an interesting question I'm going to ask is, if we don't understand God at all, then why do we even bother giving God any titles? And we'll answer that question later down the line, not today in a few days. So that's point number one. Point number two. So what we're going to do right now in the Tanya is, we're going to go through how the human condition is. We're going to talk about the greatest span of distance that exists within ourselves. Because we want to understand the greatness of God. We first need to understand how is our own greatness, let's call it. From where to where does everything occur? What What is the, the let's call it, the massive map of our entire psyche, of everything that exists in this world? What is that distance? How big is the world really? How great is the world really? How far does it span? And that's that's what today's topic is going to be. Tomorrow's topic is going to explain how, how it works in God, or how we don't understand how it works in God. But let's keep in today's. The first level of, of Creation of things that relate to create cre- creation beings, creatures, is Chachma. Chachma is the first of the spirits, it's the first point of creation. The highest that we that a human being creature could 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 ever reach is wisdom. And wisdom has packed inside of it, and das, which continue from the original A person feels love towards someone else. You can say, well, why do you love that? And and, and uh, uh, you know what? Your person could say could say someone else, whatever's behind that curtain, I love it very much. And you say, well, that's very foolish. You have no idea what's behind the curtain. First step of love or any form of emotion is understanding what it is, at least to some degree. You don't have to fully appreciate it, nor to love it, but And whatever you whatever your your wisdom gives, that's how much love you can have. So if you don't know what's behind the curtain, you cannot love it. You cannot fear it. You cannot anything else. Because you don't know what it is. Step number one is what is it? Understand it. however much you understand it, that's how much the respective um, emotions will then play itself out. You understand a little bit, you'll fear it a little bit. you understand a little more, you'll start to be terrified. etc. cetera. So love and Kindness and pity—all of these are based on intelligence. Mm-hmm. An example of our you see a child hasn't doesn't have the deep understanding, who, because Tommy does, sorry, he gets angry really quickly. One thing goes wrong, and he'll absolutely throw a tantrum. Maybe in Disneyland, and he's throwing a tantrum, not realizing that the candy that he's not getting is pales in comparison to all the amazing rides and experiences he's going to have. Doesn't matter. Because his mind is weak, and therefore his emotions are based on the tiny little wisdom that he has. And also, his um, love is for tiny things because he doesn't appreciate how the greater things in life that are worth loving. Love is always predicated, and all emotions are predicated on the wisdom that triggers them. The wisdom small. The, the love will be towards that smallness. The wisdom is larger and it will be towards larger things, etc. And what happens is, is that based on your emotional spectrum, that will dictate the thoughts that you have. You have strong emotions towards something, you start to think about it, it goes in your head, and that from the emotional will then reach into the actual, your brain. You'll actually start now, it comes into not just hypothetical soul related elements but now it's actually thoughts in your brains you're trying to think about it first for example you now discover ice cream and you think about it and, well i love ice cream now and then you start to think okay well how do i get ice what does ice cream uh, how does it work you start to actually think about the details of the ice cream you start thinking about it in an actual active way you not know, a passive way about ice cream and whatever you want to do with the ice cream and the emotional bandwidth that lies behind your thoughts is what's going to propel your thoughts forward forward you have fear, you're now going to start thinking of whatever thoughts are necessary to mitigate the fear to, to propel the fear further that's what you want to do whatever it is your thoughts are going to be um continuing from your um Emotions. When a person has thoughts, ideally, but in all cases, a person's speech is based on his thoughts. He doesn't think much, or well, he, he won't say much. He thinks a lot. He's at least his, his power, his ability to talk a lot about what he thought about will be increased. Um, and then speech comes from um, the speech, then propels your action to. To to occur, for example, a king will be thinking, will have feeling an emotion. Uh, we'll think about an idea, feel an emotion based on it, think about the idea, command someone else, say, like, Go do this, and that person will go and do that action. He will command himself and he'll go do it himself, whatever it is. The Gamsha Kisha Adam, Ace of Afro either, or Never Kayus, and Slavish, or Ace Ain Mamish, Gabi Kaya, and Never Kayus, and Slavish, 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 Now, what's so interesting is when you have that person filling out, filling that action, he's doing something practical. The practical action compared to the speech that triggered it, in turn, which is compared to the thought, that thought, that thought, which then is in in comparison to the um, brainwave that the emotional spectrum that dictated the brainwaves in his brain to think about it, compared to the actual wisdom originally that understood the idea initially, each one of those five steps are entirely mild and miles. There's no, there's no descriptor. A person could do one action, and the the speech to describe the action that he did in his own in his own speech would take would take months. And for a person to to, to talk a, a speech, and you say, well, what processes in the brain? Came up with all of that speech. It's it's you could have you could have um months worth of brainstorming for one word. You see in books, people iterate one word. The time is famous of that. The author ever spent so much brain power on a single letter in the time whether to have it in or whether to not have it in. The point is the distance between them all, every single one of these five steps that we went through in forward, reverse engineering backwards, going from the distance between each one, the, the chasm that lies between each one of these five steps is enormous. It's tremendous. In fact, this five-step process is the largest distance that exists in this world. That's it. That is the that is summation of the largest distance that exists in this world of the The whole is So the wisdom is the start-off point of everything. Wisdom is where everything, absolutely everything starts off. As we're going to say, that it's wisdom that God created the world with. Because wisdom is the first for absolutely everything. And it, and it goes on a progression along these five journeys. Why is this important? Because we're going to be talking about how this exists in Hashem. And once we understand how this exists in Hashem, or how we don't understand, as, we, as the conversation is going to continue, we ought to understand that everything in this world is entirely unified with God in a way, in ways that we could possibly never understand. But the unity is, exists and everything is God and God is everything. Thank you so much for joining the time. And of shlam. Have a wonderful, very successful day. And thank you so much for joining.